The following podcast is a production of the LAG Radio Network. All right, welcome back, guys, to another installment of Creepy Pete's Pasta Party. And right next to me is our very own Sadistic Sally. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty, pretty swanky. We're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff on this episode. Swanky? (laughs) Why did it take you that long to figure it out? It didn't hit me until just then. I couldn't think of anything cooler to say. But we're going to be covering a lot of fun stuff today. We're going to be covering some some securing your heads. We're going to be covering Wendigos and uh, some overall nostalgia. I'm really excited for it. We're going to be covering some of Alvin Schwartz's work. Those of you who may know him from the scary stories to tell in the dark. A lot of them were adapted off of folklore and urban legends, which are exactly what creepypastas are. So we figure why not make this a reoccurring segment? So the story I chose was The Burning Feet, and it's about Wendigos. And do you know anything about Wendigos? I do not, actually. I'm, I'm sad to say that Alvin Schwartz was a big influence of mine when I was younger, but I can't remember anything about your story. Sadly, that makes me ashamed of myself, but I can't. Well, we'll get to hear a, a little refresher here in a minute. Um, Wendigos are actually very interesting. The idea of a Wendigo, at least in my mind, and in a lot of folklore and myths, is it's essentially the spirit of winter, and it's this demonic thing, and you're out in the woods, and there's debate on how it happens. The most common belief is it basically possesses you, and it makes you hungry and hungry and hungrier until you eventually resort to cannibalism, at which point then you become a Wendigo. The whole idea of a Wendigo is that they're just perpetually hungry and they like eating people. In my story, it's a little bit different. A guy never gets eaten. I'm not going to spoil the ending because you'll hear it here in a minute. But it's an interesting little play on an Indian folklore, urban legend kind of thing. And that's why we want to talk about it. Because these are all based from reoccurring folklore. And that's exactly what creepypasta is. This is the creepypasta before creepypasta, wouldn't you agree? Before the internet, anyway. This yeah, is how definitely. people got their creepypastas besides words of mouth. Before the internet, you mean? <laughs> Don't judge me. It's been a long day. <laughs> well, you want to get into... Uh, you want to have uh, Peter the Creeper go through our little... Sure. A little story that we're bringing to the Peter table. Peter the Creeper. There was a wealthy man who loved hunting. He decided to go on a trip to a remote part of northern Canada. It was a forsaken and desolate part of the country, and few people ever ventured that far north. Even fewer went there to hunt. He traveled to a trading post and tried to find a guide. He asked around, but nobody he spoke to would agree to take him. They all said it was too dangerous. Eventually, he was put in touch with a stocky Cajun man by the name of Defego. The man seemed to know a lot about trapping, Indian lore, and how to survive in the wilderness, and the hunter thought he would make an excellent guide. Defego was badly in need of money and agreed to take the hunter out to the best hunting grounds. They set out together, paddling down the river in a small canoe. When they reached their destination, the men set up camp near a large frozen lake. As far as the eye could see, the ground was covered in a thick blanket of snow, The hunter was enchanted by its beauty, and he enjoyed the sense of freedom it gave him. For three days, they hunted on the icy plains, but they had nothing to show for it. Luckily, Defego 
taught him how to break a hole in the ice and catch some fish so they didn't go hungry. The hunter was glad he had chosen to bring a guide. He knew that the only thing that lay between him and starvation was Defego. The third night, a windstorm came up. They lay in their tent listening to the wind howling and the trees whipping back and forth. To see the storm better, the hunter opened the tent flap. What he saw startled him. There wasn't a breath of air stirring, and the trees were standing perfectly still. Yet he could hear the wind howling, and the more he listened, the more it sounded as if it was calling Defego's name. Defego, it seemed to be calling. Defego. I must be losing my mind, the hunter thought. When he closed the tent flap and turned around, he saw that Defego had gotten out of his sleeping bag and was huddled in a corner of the tent, his head buried in his arms. What's wrong? the hunter asked. It's nothing, Defego said. Just the wind playing tricks on your ears. But the voice that carried on the wind continued to call his name. It sounded oddly seductive and sweet, and Defego became more tense and nervous. Defego! It called, Defego! The Cajun man flew into a panic and jumped to his feet. His eyes were wild and he was trembling. He pulled back the flap of the tent and was about to get out when the hunter grabbed him by the arm. Where are you going? The hunter shouted. You can't leave me here alone. How will I? Suddenly, he was interrupted by the tremendous roar of the wind coming across the lake. The trees overhead shook with the force of it and the campfire flickered and threatened to go out. There was a tremendous rushing noise as something swept over the tent, almost lifting it off the ground. Defego was shaking with fear. All of a sudden, he broke loose and fled from the tent. The hunter watched as his guide ran off and swallowed up by the darkness. The hunter could hear him screaming as he went. Over and over he cried. Oh, my fiery feet, my burning feet on fire. Then his voice faded away into the night and the wind calmed down again. At first sight of daylight, the hunter followed Defego's tracks in the snow. The trail led through the woods, down towards the lake, and onto the ice. But soon he noticed something strange. The footprints Defego had left become longer and longer. They were so long that no human could ever have made them. It was as if something had helped him to hurry away. The hunter followed the tracks out to the middle of the lake, but they disappeared. At first he thought that Defego had fallen through the ice, but there wasn't any hole. Then he thought that something had pulled him off the ice into the sky, but that made no sense. As he stood wondering what happened, the wind picked up again. Soon it was howling as it had the night before. Then he heard Defego's voice again. It was coming from above and he was screaming, Oh, my fiery feet, my burning feet of fire. But there was nothing to be seen. Now the hunter wanted to leave that place as fast as he could. He went back to camp and packed up. Then he left some food for Defego and he started out. Weeks later, he reached the trading post and set about looking for Defego. He asked around, but none of the people had seen him. He told them what he had witnessed, but nobody could explain what had happened to Defego that night. One man took him aside and whispered, Could it have been a Windigo? Windigo, repeated the hunter. What's that? They say it comes with the wind, said the old man. It calls your name and tries to trick you. Once it has you in its clutches, it drags you along at great speed until your feet are burned away. It calls your name and tries to trick you. Once it has you in its clutches, it drags you along at great speed until your feet are burned away. Then it drags you some more and burns more of you than that. 
They say it carries you in the sky and drops you. That's the story I heard as a child. But it's an old Indian legend. Who knows if it's true? The following year, the hunter went back to the same area. He was buying supplies at the trading post again and asked about his old guide, Defeco. Nobody had seen hide nor hair of him. As night fell, the hunter was sitting by the campfire. The darkness brought forth a strange figure of a man. He came in and sat far from the fire, where the light and the shadows mingled. The man had a blanket wrapped around him. His hood was pulled down so low that his face was hidden in shadow. The hunter watched him for a while and thought there was something familiar about him. Defego, he asked. Is that you? The stranger didn't answer. It is you, isn't it? Defego. No answer. The hunter began to wonder if something was wrong, if the man needed help, but he couldn't see his face. Are you alright? He asked. No answer. Defego, can you tell me what happened, just a little so I can help you? From beneath his hood, the stranger muttered something. His voice was low and breathless. I seen that great big Wendigo thing, he whispered. The hunter wanted to get a look at Defego, but he still wasn't sure if it was really him. He reached out and tugged at the man's hood. The hood fell back and the blanket dropped to the ground. The hunter screamed in horror. There was nothing under the blanket but a pile of ashes. So that was The Burning Feet by Alvin Schwartz and it's one of my favorites mainly because of the ending I think it's hilarious how at the end they just threw DeFago back at the campsite and he's just a a pile of ashes the entire time but in disguise as a man in a cloak but he's not I think the funniest part of that for me is the fact that I just imagine it in my head as this giant pound of ashes I guess it'd be a little bit more than a pound. I don't know, a pound's probably pretty fair. I'm gonna assume that DeFego is a smaller guy. We're gonna say he's a little short. I imagine him being pretty short. But I think it's hilarious that he's just, all he has to say to the hunter, this guy that he took him to those grounds, I'm not saying he's responsible for it, but obviously the Wendigo had seen him before, knew his name and everything. Or maybe it didn't, maybe the Wendigo is just magical like that. But all he had to say was, yeah, I've seen that big Wendigo thing. Can you see Wendigos? It depends who you ask. Um, more so in the traditional sense, I think it's just a spirit that you can't see. I was about to say, I was it's like more I just... of a feeling you get and then you become a Wendigo. It's still there and it's a, a conscious being. But until it starts manipulating your mind, it's not something you actually see. At least that's how I interpreted it. They do have like a description. They're usually described as being very thin and emaciated because of their like hunger. It's a very common thing. Just see theme. this like gross pale skeleton walking around like dragging people. Essentially, yeah, that's how a lot of them are depicted. There are some depictions of Wendigos that are more beast-like, um, which I would assume would be more like this kind of Wendigo. I wouldn't think of it as more of a humanoid since this one seems to be able to fly. Still terrifying. Very terrifying. He dragged him through the snow and forced him to run until there was nothing left. Just like That'd imagining horrible. walking out of the parking lot and then just just flying at like light speed until you're just nothing but a pile of ashes. See, the thing that I don't understand is DeFago knew something was going to happen. He was all shooken up when the wind was blowing and calling him his name. Why did he open the tent door? Wouldn't he know better? White people. 
I don't think he's white. <laughs> but you know, with a name like Defago, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. Maybe he could be. But I feel like most white people are like, oh, scary stuff. Let's go check it out. We know it's wrong, but let's go do it. Well, he got what he deserved. You yeah. check out a Wendigo, you get picked up. And you die. He's just a pile of ashes now. But life can't be that bad. I mean, he could still go to campsites and stuff. In the middle of winter, who is going to be at a campsite? The hunter. I don't think it was at the middle of winter. It was way later. Oh, okay. But he still came back. Said he walked up and sat down. Next thing you know, he's a pile of ashes. It's terrifying. I think it would have been a lot better if it stuck to the roots of the cannibalism Wendigo. Yeah, I feel And like he it... became a Wendigo and later on met the hunter and that became like a huge thing. I think that'd be a lot better of an ending. Maybe you should write your own story. No, nah, I can't write. I can barely read. Illiterate. What'd you bring to the table for us? This, I, this time around I brought the story The Red Ribbon It's like Alvin Schwartz version of the Green Ribbon But there's a whole bunch of different Versions of this story I particularly liked um, Alvin Schwartz Version just cause it was simple And I'm not gonna dive too deep Into it and spoil anything But the dude in this one is a lot more Pushy and mean than the one in Alvin's story So I'm pretty pretty disappointed in the male populations in a lot of these stories and you'll see why you want to bring satanic sandy in sure do all right she's up bill whistled as he strolled through the park he was on his way to meet his girlfriend sally he could smell spring in the air he jingled the engagement ring in his pocket and thought about asking sally to marry him Sally sat down on a park bench and Bill kneeled down in front of her. Sally, Bill said, you are the most beautiful girl I have ever met. I love you and I want you to be my wife. Will you marry me? As Bill gazed lovingly at his bride-to-be, his eyes lingered on the red velvet ribbon Sally always wore around her neck. Why do you always wear that ribbon? Bill asked. Sally said, Bill, I must never take off my red ribbon. Bill smiled at Sally and he left the ribbon alone. Bill and Sally were married that June. Bill found a lovely little house in a nice neighborhood, and they moved in. Bill bought Sally many party dresses, but Sally always wore her red ribbon with each outfit. Bill thought this was odd. Sally just smiled and said, I must never take off my red ribbon. After a few years, Sally found out she was going to have a baby. The news delighted Bill. Sally talked with her friends who had babies. Bill talked with his buddies who had children. They talked together late into the night about what they had learned from everyone. When the big day came, Sally said, Please tell the doctor I must not take off my red ribbon. Bill was frustrated, but he promised Sally that he would tell the doctor. After the baby was born, Bill gave Sally flowers. Thank you for the flowers, Bill, Sally said. And thank you for telling the doctor I must not take off my red ribbon. Bill did not understand why the red ribbon was so important. Do you want to hold little Billy? Sally asked. Bill, Sally, and little Billy lived happily for many years in a small, lovely house in the nice neighborhood. When little Billy was a baby, he would sometimes reach for the red ribbon around his mother's neck. Sally would gently take his little hands in hers and coo at him, saying, Mommy must never take off her red ribbon. The red ribbon had frustrated Bill for a long time. He loved Sally with all of his heart but did not understand her need to wear the red ribbon. After many years, Bill had an idea. Our anniversary is coming up. I will buy Sally a beautiful necklace. She will take off that old red ribbon so she can wear the beautiful necklace. Their anniversary came. 
Bill took Sally to a fancy restaurant overlooking Central Park. They had a delicious meal. Then Bill gave Sally a velvet box with a beautiful diamond necklace in it. She opened it, smiled, and tears came to her eyes. Bill put the necklace around her neck and started to take off the red ribbon. Sally stopped him. She said, I must never take off my red ribbon. Bill sat back in his seat with a huff. He looked at Sally and shook his head. I may never understand, Bill said. Sally gently placed a diamond necklace back in the velvet box and closed the lid. Sally gently placed the diamond necklace back in the velvet box and closed the lid. It is lovely, Bill. I will treasure it always, she said, but I must never take off my red ribbon. Why? Bill asked as he had for so many years. Sally smiled sadly and shook her head. She did not answer him. Late that night, Bill was still awake. I've loved Sally for more than 20 years, but she insists on wearing that horrible red ribbon around her neck. I think it's about time I found out why. Bill got out of bed and walked around to Sally's side. Bill carefully pinched the ends of the bow on the ribbon. He began to slowly pull the ribbon. The bow became smaller and smaller. The loops of the bow pulled through and only a half knot was left. Bill slid his finger under the half knot and tugged. The red ribbon gave away. Pop. Sally's head came off. It rolled right onto the floor, bouncing in the moonlight. One large tear fell from Sally's eye. I warned you, she said. Pop. Her, Her head, head falls off. off. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wasn't was planned. That was good, though. That, that, was, good that was good synchronization happening. That was a fun little story. It was. I'm not going to lie. Again, Alvin Schwartz and most folklore that were scary were my, my like, I idolized them, I guess, when I was younger. I was a weird kid. I didn't like all the pink, glittery stuff. I liked horror. So, like, this story, I was actually reading about, like, weird facts about it that makes it super scary. One that I thought was just funny was that it's uh, linked to prostitution and... Like, the reason she wears the red ribbon is because she was a prostitute before she met her husband, and it was a secret that uh, she didn't want to tell him. Did her pimp get pissed and cut her head off? Was like, bitch, you ever take that off again? <laughs> I mean, I could see it happening like that, but the next one makes more sense. It's like this folklore came through from, like, around the French Revolution. There's not an exact time, but uh, it's when people were going through the guillotine. So they would have these parties called the Victim's Balls, where they would uh, emulate victims of the guillotine through fashion. So they would wear the red ribbon around their neck to show like them getting their head chopped off by the guillotine and then they would you know do jerky head movements and that was the grooving that they did at these balls yeah that actually sounds kind of fun as stupid and morbid as i can imagine that i feel like i would have a blast there probably yeah just get to wear red ribbons and basically dance around like weirdos all night like i don't see a problem but i mean i wouldn't want to be the people they're like embracing i don't want to i want my head to be chopped off i would hope not guillotines are pretty brutal yeah so i think that one fits it more i like that version of it because it's a weird ball and people are getting their head chops off what what's better than that that's pretty metal it is pretty it's metal more metal than the headbangers ball i don't even know what a headbangers ball is oh, so man. it's like just a metal heads <laughs> gathering it's like a big deal they throw them all the time okay okay but yeah now we have to talk about the man who brought these wonderful stories to our attention good old alvin schwartz my hero as a kindergartner (laughs) or elementary schooler 
these books were released in the first one 1981 the last one i believe was 1984 but there's three versions of them and they're all collections of his take of reworked not all of them are reworked but most of them are of just urban legends and he originally was doing the stuff that creepypasta is doing now these are all stories that people find on forums and message boards that have been copied through some people refer to them as copy pastas i would even argue that these are copy pastas in a sense and that's why i think it'd be a fun idea for us to have this episode and talk about it because these are kind of like what kicked it off we've been telling scary stories and urban legends our entire time as a civilization but it never really developed a name it's gone through a lot of names i guess in the past generations but the current one being creepypasta it's kind of funny that not much has changed it's still the same basis of yeah it's a scary story with a scary monster did you know that he actually didn't start off writing scary stories he was a journalist for a newspaper i did not know that boom knowledge fact i did know that a lot of parents do not like his books Oh yeah, my parents definitely didn't like me reading them. They thought they were too scary for me, so I would take them and hide under my covers with were a flashlight. Were they too spoopy? I didn't think they were spoopy, but you know, a lot of a lot of other kids really hated them, and I was the, probably one kid who was like, "Yeah, these are pretty dope. Like, why can't I read more of these? Why are they being taken away?" Yeah, I, re- I remember reading a couple of them when I was younger. I definitely didn't read all three books from start to finish, oh, but I definitely I've read them did. here and there. There's another one. He has another book that's out that's not with these three, but that's where the green ribbon is. I can't think of the name, but yeah, no. Every time he, every time I, or every chance I could get to read his books, I would. Mostly for the artwork. The artwork's great. It's phenomenal. I don't remember too many of kids in my class not liking the book. In fact, I don't remember any, like, bad review over it. Everyone I knew seemed to like him a lot. I don't know, maybe I had a bunch of weird friends. I mean, you're a weird person, so I can see why you would have weird friends. I am pretty weird. Mm. A lot of people apparently didn't like them. Yeah, a lot of kids in my school didn't like them. It's been on the American Library Association's list of top 100 most frequently challenged books for 1990 to 1999 um, for a good 10-year streak. It's because they're so good. They're well-written, and, like, a lot of people can read them and understand them, even kids in elementary school like I was. It wasn't a hard, like, a hard book for me to read. They were at number seven on that same list for 2000 to 2009. So that would mean for 20 years, basically the entire inception, they were on the challenge list. Which is crazy. I I get it. It might not be your thing. Uh, they were challenged for reasons of insensitivity, occult Satanism, violence, and an unsuited age group. I think most of these stories, especially like the one that I read, yeah, it does have a dark, grim background to it. But I wouldn't call it inappropriate. I feel Compared like to what's out there, I true. wouldn't call it unsuitable for a 10 or 12 year old to read it. Maybe... A four or five year old, yeah, but could they even comprehend that? I mean, they could probably read through it a little bit, but I don't think enough to actually... I I was never startled by this kind of stuff. It never gave me nightmares or anything. It played light on death, so I mean, like, maybe, you know, reading these books, we kind of desensitized ourselves 
to like violence and gore because you know i started reading these at a young age and loved horror and ever since then like i tried to watch as many horror movies as i can and all that nothing really bothers me anymore and i feel like it all started with reading these books alvin schwartz desensitized you to life (laughs) pretty much yeah there we go that's how it's worded anything scary that happens it's like oh cool did you read the quote that he said uh, when the journal interviewed him? No, I did not. So the journal interviewed him about being in the top 10 most challenged list for the ALA. And he basically said, yeah, my editors deal with them. Every letter is answered and the point is made that this is traditional material and that in addition, it has developed a lot of interest in reading. Um, I thought it was super interesting. Like I really, really loved his books. Parents didn't, however, but... He said he was pleased to have that kind of attention. It was ironic and pleasing that at the same time their ideas were rejected by children. I don't necessarily know what he means by that last part because I don't think they were rejected by children, at least not. I I think it was the parents who threw a lot more. Yeah, because they're probably too young to understand, and they're like, oh, my parents said I can't read this, so I guess I can't, but I bought them at a book fair without my parents knowing, and I read them without them knowing. Oh, it's saying that the children the children were rejected of the literature because it was a library that banned all of his work. That was him in response to a specific library, but the stuff before that was in response to the ALA's top most challenged list. I don't know why people think banning things is a good idea. I mean, people are going to get their hands on it anyway. Here's my argument with it. You can try and ban him, but these are all urban legends. These have been around. He didn't write these. He just reworked them a little bit and made his own variation of it. But these technically are not his works, if that makes sense. And a lot of people, a lot of parents especially, made the argument that there's no moral to any of the stories obviously there's a moral in mine just don't go camping at least not in the middle of the woods during winter right you might run into a windigo yeah and then in yours just respect people's privacy if you like wearing a red ribbon every day that's cool be a hoe do you man wear a red ribbon every day why not you don't got to be the husband who takes it off and now look your your wife's dead but in alvin schwartz's version the husband was really you know nice and understanding he was frustrated but then the girl was dying so she was like all right i guess it's okay for me to show you because i'm dying anyway so she removes it and her head falls off and basically you know kind of just traumatizes her husband a little bit i, I wish mean, she would have done that in like a more like instead of just yeah here now you can see it like set him up for a trap like hold your hands out oh my god take the ribbon off what would you and do he's if expecting I did that? her to put the ribbon in her hand and she just undoes it her head drops into his hand how would you he's react traumatized if that for life. it'd be a scary story he'd freak bum, freak bum, bum. <laughs> that's why it's a scary story now it probably happened man you never know Actually, I don't think that would happen ever. I feel like if it was that easy, there'd be a lot of people. Magic red ribbon. Yeah. Just got to go find it. I'm sure Michaels would be booming in business if that was the case. Right. Just wear a red ribbon and you live forever until you take it off. I mean. Only if your head's cut off. (laughs) Do you think it would work if other severed limbs were, you know, like if you had a severed arm, just put a red ribbon around it? I mean, if it could work on her head, that's pretty complicated. I feel like it could work everywhere else. But then you got to think about move. Well, her neck moves too, because you turn your head. 
Yeah. Is she like an owl? Do you think she could have moved her head all the way around? Oh, I guarantee it. Dude, I would do that just to freak people out. I'm surprised she never did. And was like, this is why you can't take it off. She doesn't even have to straight up tell him. Well, maybe the moral of the story is respect people's privacy. And if they're ready to tell you, they'll tell you. It's 2018. We don't have privacy. Special snowflakes. We lost that, that away. in 2002. <laughs> True. Well, that I think is all for our third installment of Creepy Pete's Pasta Party. We hope you guys enjoyed the Burning Feet and the Red Ribbon. Or was your version was the Green Ribbon? No, Alvin Schwartz was the Green Ribbon. My version is the Red Ribbon. Your you were right the first time. Yeah, the original versions. Yeah, the Red Don't Ribbon. Don't question yourself. Sorry. Gosh. <laughs> Any closing thoughts? sadistic sally just you know if anything creepy happens just walk away just don't go anywhere near just mind your own business and leave i'm gonna revise that a little bit when doing anything in life and something happens just walk away just leave it's not your problem it's not just carry on with your day you'll be all right yeah remember that for next time so you guys can be around and not grabbed by windigos and can listen to my podcast